Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Nir Shafir. And I'm Susie Ferguson. So today we have with us Ebru Boyar. She is a professor at Metu. And we have with us uh, Kate Fleet, the director of the Skeletor Center for Ottoman Studies at Cambridge University. And we are going to be talking about uh, urban experience in Ottoman Istanbul. Uh, this is a topic that they know well. They've re- or a few, just a few years ago published a book uh, from Cambridge University Press called The Social History of Ottoman Istanbul. And this, again, I think this is one of the kind of core topics of our podcast as part of our series on urban history in the Ottoman world. Uh, Istanbul or Constantinople, of course, has always had a has always been a massive city, you know, housing hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. And there's always these questions of how residents or the denizens of the city organized themselves, how they lived, um, where they came together, and how the city kind of came to life to become a city. Um, so I guess with that, maybe just to start us off on this question, what I enjoyed about your book so much, um, and I think what I kind of got out from all the different stories in it, is that there's many ways to kind of approach the history of a city let's say, from like its formal institutions to its architecture, but I think you've kind of really focused on the daily social life of the city itself. Is there a reason why? I mean, could you just speak <laughs> about that approach? Um, I think perhaps it might help if we say why we thought about doing the book in the first place. Um, we actually it grew out of a tour. We, uh, for the Skeletor Center, we organized a tour of uh, um, Turkey. Came to Turkey, went to Istanbul, to Bursa, to Edirne. And uh, this was around 2005, and it was for aimed really at um, people from uh, alumni of Newnham College and University of Cambridge. And uh, we gave, it, it was 10 days, and we gave, between us, Ebra and I gave 12 lectures over the 10 days. And so what, what started us thinking then was the sort of questions we got asked by people on the tour, and, and obviously particularly about Istanbul. And then that's what, uh, also preparing a reading list for people who were interested but they were not historians, they were not Ottomanists. And that also highlighted the gap, really, in um, accessible histories, urban histories. And that was really what started us going. And then from there, I think we thought about, okay, what, what topics would pull it all together? And that was how the chapters grew out of trying to look at the city itself and an awful lot of going through um, Ottoman chronicles, Ottoman sources, and trying to think of how to project that through yes. a series of thematic chapters. Actually, first we went through the sources. We had some ideas. We started to look at, and, and then the ideas didn't we work. wrote. <laughs> and then we, of course, had rewritten many times because the idea is that to give the feeling because that makes the uh, history, social history, different. Because you don't have the wars, you don't have the specific dates. You do, but there are political dates, or you can talk about uh, certain debasement of currency in that date. But when it comes to social history, all these things influence their lives, uh, but you have more than that. So you have to have a feeling. And in order to catch that feeling, you have to go through many sources, then pull these things together in a way which was not done before. That's why uh, we tried to do something a bit different. And also, yeah, I think the other, the other problem you have there is what do you do with chronology? Because then you can, you don't want it to be a sort of seamless, timeless, nothing ever happens. On the other hand, you can't write your thematic social history 
around a chronological framework and that we that was very difficult to do and also of course your evidence is random because mm. for instance there are certain sartorial laws uh, in late 16th century it is repeated in the 17th century it was again in 18th century in the different forms you will find it in 19th century so there's a problem of sort of how you deal with change over time mm. right yes, um, exactly. when you're trying to give kind of a broad view of what life in the city was like um so maybe what we could do i think uh for our listeners to get a sense of of sort of how you put this together you could maybe talk a little bit about um some of the themes that you pulled out or the spaces in the city that you um saw as being kind of central to social life in ottoman istanbul um and and sort of how you know those spaces developed how they influenced people's lives um i think one of the the classic ones was the vakuf really oh welfare yeah that welfare, chapter that, took that a lot was, of work that took a huge <laughs> amount of work and it was perhaps the one i felt least comfortable with as a starting as a point, starting yeah. point. <laughs> but it, it became so central and also to an understanding of how did that how did that city function you you don't have a welfare system theoretically you, how do people actually you know survive day to day and the, there was a very interesting um, oh I've forgotten his name done some very interesting work on Vakov yes and the idea you could come from the cradle to the grave your entire life could be through the Vakov on Vakov property on Vakov property Vakov school yes, Vakov shops everything and that that actually did come out much more than, than I was expecting initially And, and also work as a kind of creating the social space yes. itself as yes. a physical environment. So it's so interesting because I think that's one of the concepts that's very hard to deal with as an Ottoman historian writing in English, right? Because mm-hmm. this is kind of um, the the waqf is sorry, I'm an, I work in Arabic, so my pronunciation <laughs> is a little different. Um, but this is an institution which we don't really have a good translation for. I mean, people call it charitable institution. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. landholder. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about how the the waqf structured sort of daily urban life in Ottoman Istanbul. You know, you mentioned it could take somebody from the cradle to the grave. How so? Oh, well, you could you could um you could start off being educated in in vakuf setting you could you, go you can hush. be born you could know, be born, vakuf, uh, vakuf born in a vakuf because yes. uh, vakufs on uh, you could house, treated in houses in, and people could hire these houses and live there uh, yes and also of course the house at uh, the hospitals, hospitals hospital yeah. vakuf hospital um education uh, vakuf schools and you could be involved in earning your living from a vakuf shop or mosque or mosque because your salary will be paid by the vakuf and you could be going and eating yeah in hospice or hospital yeah um so i think it was and also if you are poor probably you will be buried in a vakuf you'll be not buried in, but uh, they, they will take you to the mosque on the vakuf equipment <laughs> yeah but it, it also threw up um i mean i'd very much take your point that how does that really mean you know you you live through a vakuf like that uh, i think also it threw up how how you could actually survive day to day as i mean you're very poor in a city you you did actually have a, a, a functioning welfare system that is not something that you would think about if you're thinking about the empire per se and i agree is not an institution that necessarily translates well into to english i mean how mm. to explain the institution itself and we did find that in a sense we that was slightly difficult to begin with how to write the chapter without hammering away at what is this mm-hmm. so you to try and make it that you understand it by reading it rather than trying to define it because once you define it as you just said you in a sense start losing it 
Um, so I think yeah. that, yes, the definition is another another problem. Yes. In a way, also try to look at the, not only simply Vakuf, because our idea was welfare. And when we were doing that, it's also not only the, those who receive, but also who deliver. So mm. charitable work, mm-hmm. but also, mm. of course, we talk about how much welfare could or the Vakuf itself could be used for other purposes like wealth protection. These are known things. What we try to do is that to bring everything together and add, of course, our own interpretation to it. It's not something we did not totally do anything new, but we try to put it in a uh, more um, condensed form but uh, with our own touch. And also to make it central. I yes, think that was important. With, but that is because you can't write the history no. of the city without looking at that But I think this aspect. is a wonderful mm. example of the difficulty of marrying kind of, um, you know, a, a space or an institution or, a, um, you know, I don't want dis- <laughs> to define <laughs> yeah. the walk because we've, uh, we, we can't do it. But, you know, uh, this kind of... Um, you know, space in the city with a chronological historical view. So maybe, you know, you could just um, tell us a little bit about how you saw the institution of the walk changing over time um, and and maybe mention, you know, sort of the starting and ending dates of your um, your study and sort of how you got around to this question of sort of how did the role of this institution or this uh, group of functions change over time? I think with um, uh, with the Mahmoudou seconds, of course, reforms, that was the end of the Vakuf as an institution. So when we are dealing with, we also took the continuity because, yes, Vakuf had died down, but the Vakuf building survived. So in a way, therefore, Yeni Jami in Eminönü is still... Uh, was the central in late 19th century as a place where the people will come and talk to each other, social space. So a lot of buildings around in Istanbul are Vakuf buildings. So in that sense, there is a starting point, there is an end point, but actually the, its centrality in the life of the city continued. Then, of course, charity took a different form, uh, especially uh, we are more familiar with the uh, early 20th century as, uh, late 19th century, like the establishment of the Hilal Ahmer, etc. Right. But uh, one might argue that, uh, and also the tradition of uh, giving uh, alums or this kind of things continued. So in a way, you can't find an ending date for it physically, or we can say that, okay, this is a date, but it continues, because Not that yet. is also tradition. That's why, of course, it's the feeling is important. And also, as you say, it's as a social space. Yes, that continues very much too, I yeah. think. Uh-huh. Because there's huge reference. There's how the mosques continue to be central for the uh, political activity, for instance. And it was the case in late 19th century. That's why Abdulhamid II had hired, uh, employed so many spies <laughs> active in the mosques. So, because, so in a way, you can see that. Um, that's why we didn't call the chapter Wakuf. We mm-hmm. called it welfare. So it is a more um, general than Wakuf in a way. But mm. Wakuf is, of course, is the most prominent element of that welfare system. Yes, because that's, and then that rolled on to yeah. explaining welfare within the And it's, of course, coming from the Islamic tradition. Mm. And also, of course, not Islamic, because Orthodox give the alums, um, alms, the oh. alms oh. and so all those oh. things. Thank you. So one of the other chapters and kind of focuses of your book for instance another social space is the hammam the bathhouse you know how did why did you go for that one and what what how did you make that one of the focuses or what did you want to bring out of that i think that one because in a sense 
I mean, a lot of well, obviously a lot of the sources are Ottoman, but we also had a lot of Western sources. And there are two things that they are very, very hooked up on, and <laughs> the harem and the hammam. <laughs> so yes. the material was was also very funny. Uh, so from trying to exhibit also how the Ottoman Empire was seen from outside, that the the hammam proved very useful. Um, and so that was on the one side. And the second side, of course, it is absolutely is very fundam- yeah, fundamental I mean, central to social yeah. life. And also, of course, it is also um, perhaps a bit anachronistic, but um, sometimes one can look at the contemporary world, not perhaps 2000s, but 30 years ago. Hammam was still very central in the life of the Anatolian villages, towns. And uh, still is to an extent. Yeah, to urban yeah. space. Yeah. So in a way, you can see that how much female socialization and to extent male socialization continued in that space. So we therefore decided that we should look at it uh, in two ways. First, the Western, <laughs> a bit fantasies. And on the other hand, of course, the Ottoman realities and try to take it as a kind of a space where you can see a lot of things there because you can see the marriages, you can see the trade, you can see the... Hmm. Uh, entertainment, literature, and everything there. So it is a very good space to look at. And also from from the point of view of uh, socializing for women. Yes, that I was going to ask yes. about that because mm. it did one thing I really liked about that chapter, um, along with another chapter on the garden, um, mm. is that it really shows you the sort of gendering of social life mm. in Ottoman Istanbul. So I wonder if maybe you could just speak a little bit more on that subject. You know how how does looking at spaces like the hammam and the garden help us to see how so you know daily social life um was was gendered in in ways maybe we expect or don't expect well actually that uh, <laughs> leads rather neatly into it. that came out very it was a very interesting point for us the idea that women aren't out and about you know okay they're on their way to the hammam maybe but the, the women in ottoman public space are not really seen and the more we worked on this particularly as you say with looking at the excursions the gardens the, the going to different parts of the city um, women beca- were seen far more than you would expect we found so you mean you began with a sort of um, thought that women weren't much seen in public space and the, the more closely you looked at sources you found that actually there exactly. was much more traces of women in public space than yes, you expected. because I think that the, the sort of more general feel is that women were not out and about much and so then we found that they were much more than we had expected and that has led us in fact to another project, project <laughs> um, which is now just completed, which is looking at this, this, this actual question, to what extent were women visible, in Ottoman women, in public space? Um, and we got a, a, a group together of us, and each person in the group took a different aspect of it. Uh, and we have now finished, the book is finished. And So were women, when you say women were more visible than you expected, did you find that um, certain classes of women were more visible or women in certain neighborhoods or from certain communities? Uh, or tell us a little bit more. Um, I think that, uh, the, um, okay, the upper, cl- upper class women tended, from what we can see, uh, to be more secluded. But if you, if you were sort of on the lower echelons, women were out and about much more, partly because they had to be. You know, if you're, you're earning a living, you're going shopping, you're, you don't have the money to be secluded. But, but when the upper class women go out, they really go out. So they <laughs> become also visible. Yes. So perhaps 
when they go out, they have to have the servants, etc. Think about Wali the mm-hmm. Sultan. Yes. So yes, perhaps she doesn't go out often. Thank God, because how will they employ all so many people all the time? But once they go out, huge security, huge this, huge that, and the people will remember. So in a way, actually, there is also that, that part yes, of it, you know, impact. Yes, because if if, it's a, if she's going out, you see it. Yeah. Whereas all those women out there in the markets shopping are not particularly And also unusual, women people won't notice And them. they won't notice them. So in a way, there is a publicly present invisible female groups we don't <laughs> talk about. We always talk about Valide Sultans. Perhaps that's why there is a lot of research on harem. So what we want to do is to take ourselves a bit outside harem. I'm not saying that it is not important part of the uh, But there's also been a lot of very important Yeah, there are very done. good works on the subject. Oh. So we try to look at, the, okay, what happens outside in the public oh. space? So what, what are the position of the woman? And we solve different visibilities. For instance, uh, there, uh, there is this marginal woman, uh, oh, prostitutes, yes. uh, and also there are marginalized communities like gypsies, and their females had more um, visibility than their uh, other uh, Ottoman urban women. So in that sense, and uh, slave women, yeah, of yes, yeah, slave women, of course, more, mm-hmm. visible, more, more visibility more visible. in one sense. I mean, as dancers, as entertainers, as oh, people. I mean, they can, for instance, some of the gypsy women were allowed to. At least I know from the uh, late nineteenth century. Perhaps even you are familiar with the Van Millingen's uh, paintings, and uh, they can be wandering around without using veils uh, or wearing chashaf. So in a way, that is something uh, not permissible for the other woman. Uh, mm. like the urban Istanbul woman. So you can see in Istanbul this woman. And even Ahmet Rasim describes mm. such woman dancing. Uh, so yes, there are dance dancers or... Or, or just women going shopping. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, you get those things... That particularly women, for, yes, women. but then that's the point, isn't it? it doesn't, you, you're not necessarily not namus because you're going out shopping. Um, so, you, so you get a, the, the poor women actually out and about far more because they have to be. you also got the um, peddlers. You've got yes, women yeah, trading, um, trading uh, or also trading, um, working, for example, um, agricultural workers. Uh, so there is, but they don't exist so much because you don't you don't name them. I mean, okay, when you look at sigils, what you see a lot of women buy property, sell property, or right. if you are lucky, you will get some prostitutes and some <laughs> bad neighbors because yes. they are just swearing to each other or something like right. that. But what are the rest of these people? What what are they doing? Then, of and course, you, can, you, you look you, at poetry. That's why yes, one you of get the, our chapters uh, is well, yes, uh, by uh, Edith Ambrose. Edith she uses literature as a source to get this uh, visibility, public presence. Yeah, I think that's so important, you know, because a similar, um, I work on the history of women in the Arab world, and similar assumptions are made hmm. about the kind of seclusion or kind of invisibility of women, but those are really kind of, stories about elite women mm-hmm. um, who, as you say, don't mm-hmm. have to leave the house. Mm-hmm. And, and when they do, it's a, it's a production and a spectacle as opposed to sort of um, women from middle and lower classes who are, you know, they're working in the fields, they're going to the shops, mm-hmm. uh, they're doing all kinds of labor mm-hmm. in and outside of the house um, and that these kind of visions of the veiled woman or the harem don't um, don't fully grapple with the realities of social life for most people in the city. Yeah. 
And mm. also, it is mm. more difficult to identify them because there should be something extraordinary. Then we all know about them. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, they turn up in the sources because there's been a riot or they've been crushed standing outside trying to, you know, a bread shop right, trying to buy. they're doing something wrong. Yes, yes exactly. Often. Or, that, that or there's, the you know, there's going to be trouble because there are too many women out in yeah. Ramazan and night and we, we've got to put a stop to this. So it's got to be a, a problem that yeah. brings them to the fore. Otherwise, you don't But then you can read them. them. Of mm. course, that those sources that are, okay, therefore... These women are used to going out, but we know about them when there's a problem. So then you have to retrieve some information from the sources hmm. uh, by reading indifferently. So we also try to do it in social history. And also, of course, we try to do it with the uh, this Ottoman uh, woman public space. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, but that in a sense came out of the. I mean, doing that book was really, really fun. It was very tough at times. Yes, the book but, on Ottoman Istanbul. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. and that was we learned a, a great deal from that because it was so. I mean, it was so wide, but at the same time, it had to uh, come together as a book, and it had to be thematic. So actually, we we covered a huge range of things, yeah, and that was a very good learning experience for certainly for me. Yeah, it was. I mean, mm. I, I learned. It was a crash course for well, five I think, years. Uh, yeah, I mean, the book is certainly um, gives us like a, a very broad sense of what you know life may have been like, um, sort of across time for for people in in Ottoman Istanbul. Um, one of the things that I was wondering about, or we were wondering about as we read the book, was sort of this question of what is um, unique about Istanbul as a city. Mm. I mean, in a way, it's the obvious choice. And that yeah. means we should ask about it. You know, you mm. said that this came out of a lecture series where you went to Istanbul, Bursa, and Edirne, right? So yep. in what ways did you find in the course of your research that um, Istanbul emerged as a specific city or a specific kind of city um, in comparison to other places in the region? I suppose the obvious thing is because of it's sources. The, the sources. Sources. And, yes, sources. And, and yes, because it's the, it is the capital. I think you, in a sense you could say that the empire is... Is very much Istanbul. Yes, and also driven. chronicles. I mean, not to uh, push that too hard, yeah. but you've got a lot of uh, chronicles, chronicles or I- intellectuals later on. Or so your your source base for Istanbul is 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 much. It is stronger. inevitably we. I mean, we ended up to look at the city, and also, of course, one can write the social history of Ottoman Empire, but I think it should be a project that, of that, many people. That would be quite uh, yes. Then. Uh, it's a huge, different way of dealing with and it. And then, then you come to the very interesting question, is there an Ottoman Empire in that sense? I mean, it's so, so wide. You're talking about what's happening in Cairo on one hand and Sofia on the other. That does make, you then also have to address what what does that really mean? Um, so from the point of view, expanding that to a social history of the Ottoman Empire would be very interesting. But I think, you, in fact, it would be extremely interesting. Yes. But you would need a team of people, I think, to, to make that work. <laughs> you, you seem tempted well, by that no, idea. I'm, very, I'm interested in this because I'm thinking of um, the collection by FM Aldam and I think Bruce Masters also oh, has yes, a piece this, where this, they're, they're sort of arguing against the idea that there is something like an Arab or Islamic city. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of where my question about specificity is coming from. I think that's one of the real challenges of doing urban history um, in parts of the world that are not Europe, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the paradigmatic cities of, say, the 19th century um, are often considered to be European cities. And so on one hand, you know, one wants to be specific about what is different um, and unique about social life in other parts of the world. And on the other hand, you know, is there such a thing as an as a kind of shared urban experience, for example, in the 19th century that um, or before that you I think there is an Ottoman city. To? 
I mean, that's hmm. there. One might talk about an Ottoman city, but you mean but across, loosely, the, yeah. I mean loosely, yes, because at the end of the day, there is a capital, there is a structure, there are certain institutions similar. But then, yeah. But I suppose you could you could argue that in a sense you. Depending on how far you push it, but Istanbul is is central. Is in a sense that is where people look from the empire. So if you wish to do something in your city in Cairo, for example, then you'll have um, a different, perhaps a different style of architecture. But you'll look for your tile work or something like that. So there will be a um, uh, individuality, but also a link to the to the center, don't you? And also a trade center is Istanbul. So there's also this is this uh, movement of people. I mean, we know that a lot of people who did very well as bureaucrats or ulema mm. in Cairo could go to Istanbul because mm-hmm. that's a better paid. And we know the, about the physicians, for instance. Yes. So they move around. But so in a way, I no, think it, it, it's yeah. a very interesting question actually yeah. in a sense because then you pull into that. Okay, we, we're looking at the Arab provinces. We're immediately going that way. What if we go towards Sofia? Mm-hmm. What what do we do with the Balkan provinces? But for instance, Todorov uh, takes the Balkan city as something um, not totally yeah. Ottoman. Yes. So mm-hmm. his approach is the uh, Balkan city yeah, is something then, yeah. peculiar to that region. And of course, I think you come back to the to the problem for Ottomanists. You know, it's, it, we've already done that. You know, Wakf and Fakuf. So there is that element as well. And then you put the Balkan side in. It is actually. Um, perhaps an area that very much requires teamwork because, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. just to start with because of the languages so could we just i mean just to follow up on some of these like if you have you know the vakif the hammam you know the marketplace all the the gardens these kind of spaces that you've kind of listed as defining urban life in istanbul i mean many of those would be found right in yeah. from belgrade mm-hmm. to yep. cairo to elsewhere um so i mean again just just a thought, like, you know, kind of what is it that makes Istanbul special other than the kind of presence of the sultan and therefore the sources that allow you to do that? Or is there nothing? Or You mean what would make Istanbul so distinctive if one takes those particular aspects? Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's... I think, yes, the the the, the palace, I think, is mm-hmm. very central. One cannot deny that. Even palace, um, not officially, but uh, unofficially, was moved to Edirne, still Istanbul. Was the yes, center. I think yes, but that is that. Uh, also, the comments about Istanbul at that particular point dying and weeping because the Sultan is not there. I mean, so and also even the Edirne resides in the Sultan resides in Edirne. We know that, for instance, Safavid ambassador was first taken to Istanbul to have a kind of a good sightseeing, and then went to Edirne. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just I'm thinking back place. to our conversation about women, where you mentioned, you know, when Valide Sultan leaves, this is the you know leaves the house. This is this huge spectacle that mm-hmm. is remembered and talked about, and kind of marks itself on the the kind of urban landscape of Istanbul. So maybe. Um, you know, there's a way in which, you know, one of the things you talk about in your book is the role of um, power, you know, spectacle mm. and celebration and the sort of visual aspects of power that are possible in close proximity to the palace. Um, yes. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how, you know, in a way, the presence of the palace and the spectacle of the palace mean that power works a little differently in Istanbul, maybe, than it might in a, a sort of a provincial City. Wasn't Latifi talking about the, for the people of Istanbul, ordinary people like little dogs or less something? Value than a dog. <laughs> yes, because they are so used to to see the high esteemed people and the persons. So in a way, perhaps well, yes, yeah. 
I mean, the, the idea of coming from uh, also to see the face of the caliph was yeah. part of it later. For later, and especially for the, at least for the pilgrims, yes. it was but, the case. But again, it makes it, why Istanbul? Well, Istanbul becomes central for that reason as well. Yeah. Um, but I think, yes, I think, as you say, it is marked by the, the presence of the sultan. It and is. The, and and the also, of course, one has to bear in mind, like Gilibol Mustafa Ali pointed out, is that uh, a lot of Vakuf buildings built by the uh, dynasty are in Istanbul because, or the mm-hmm. Grand Veziers and the Grand Pashas, because that's where you invest. And even that is the case today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Welcome back to the Ottoman History Podcast. I'm Susie Ferguson, and I'm here today with Nir Shafir and Kate Fleet and Abru Boyar um, talking about the uh, urban life of Ottoman Istanbul. And so we had uh, we had spent a few minutes talking about sort of the spaces that make up social life in Ottoman Istanbul and what's, you know, particular or not particular about these spaces, you know, the question of the quote-unquote Ottoman city or Arab city. Um, and, you know, I'm wondering also about, uh, you know, another question about specificity in a way, um, which is that often, you know, when we think of urban history, the 19th century is seen as a real kind of break or watershed moment um, in the history of urban life you know, in many different regions, right? So I'm curious, um, you know, in the course of your research on Istanbul, how, you know, how did you sort of see the 19th century? Did you sort of see things that changed radically? Um, Were there things that you felt, I mean, you mentioned in the case of the walk that, in fact, there was a sort of continuity. Um, But so how do you deal with that question of the the rupture or Mm -hmm. non-rupture as a historian? Um, well, I think certainly with, in the book, we, we uh, and our research led us to think the 19th century is quite a different, has a, has a different feel. But um, that said, you also have continuity or adaption into a traditional way of dealing with something, something that's actually new, like, oh, I suppose the fun one is the sea hamam. Yes. Denis hamam. Yes. The so, Denise Hamama, yes. so the the ocean, the ocean Hamam, where yes. people would go to bathe. Yes, yes. like which is the 19th good old days, people yes. were able to swim. So, so you're combining <laughs> that new idea of, of of swimming in the sea, but then making it into a Hamam. Um, but I think there were there were major changes in the 19th century that automatically uh, made it a very different. Experience like, for example, the press. I mean, the press alone. Yeah, it brought. There were a lot of changes. I mean, the cityscape changed. What you wanted of a city. And also the concept of hygiene, etc., changed. But also the things which did not change also interesting. Or not changed, but evolved. For instance, the centrality of Mahalle neighborhood. Mm, Mm -hmm. So still they had the power to impose they will on the inhabitants of the Mahalle. And we can see that well into the Republic that. So you can, uh, this is very good when you look at the certain novels uh, of, uh, I don't know, Hussein uh, Rahmi Gürpunar's novels. And uh, all these kind of things, when you look at it, actually there, is, there are certain things. And they were evolved, yes. And for instance, now you have Zabuta. So you have police force. They are not simply uh, imam or uh, Kadı or somebody from the Mahalle, but now you can have the police. But actually what they do is similar or the same. So in a way, there is this change, 
but also there is transformation, there is adoption, and sometimes the things state um, a bit same, because there are certain interesting descriptions. Some parts of Istanbul, for instance, there were descriptions. How didn't they change? Mm. I mean, of course, probably you can't have anything not change. Everything will change, but the levels and the visibility of the change. Mm. So, of course, when you are uh, walking through the Istiklal Caddesi, you will see the change. Grant the para, but uh, but if you probably walk around Sultan Ahmed, I don't know how much change. Probably mm-hmm. they built new condos. So it's uneven, cetera. also, right? And it yes, manifests in different ways yeah. in different neighborhoods. They, they, that mm-hmm. is that is also makes this city interesting mm-hmm. because it was the case in 18th century when one look at the uh, lady Mary Mary and she talks about how much it, there's a division between the uh, Istanbul and uh, Pera. And you know this water was some kind of a, as if it's a kind of a very deep, uh, huge divide. Divide. Yes. And similar stories you will be seen, you will you will hear in 19th century and late 19th century. But I think also you've got a shift, perhaps, in what you want the city to do, which is also quite interesting. How do you design a city? Mm. And the, there were plans, weren't there, of, of, of um, drawing up wide boulevards and such like. But that didn't happen because of lack of finances, maybe. But you also had the idea of, of, of more parks, more space. So you do get shifts in concept of what the city should be and moving perhaps more to the idea of a city designed more for people, for its people. The, the idea of health, the fact that you, you know, you're, you're, um, the children should be out in the fresh air and they should be in a park. So there were shifts also in, in how you, the city should look. Viewed also, urban, people viewed urban space. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And also how it, the idea of presenting it to the outside world. Too. But of course, it is where it is central Istanbul. For instance, yes. you talk about yes, yes, the creation true. of Gülhane Park. Yes, uh, they can convince the palace to give land. But the point is that what about the outskirts of Istanbul? What did they cha- what change with them? So in a way, uh, therefore, actually, one might argue that the 19th century is a century of change. But also, of course, a lot of things uh, continued, perhaps as it is, or. Yeah, of course, I mean, the people will buy, for instance, more English cloth than more than 19th, 18th century. Poor people perhaps will afford more things. Or, yes, or or be aware of, you'll have a, more of a trickle-down effect. And also you've got, because you have the press, you have the adverts, you have more... A culture of consumption in yes, a way that's I think a little that, bit new. Precisely. Yeah, mm-hmm. but again, it is limited to a certain class it, of it people. It is, but on the other hand, you could argue that it becomes more... Uh, it's, it's more visual as well. Yeah, but, and also imitation, for instance. One of the way, b- best way of um, advertisement was uh, your neighbor's daughter will wear a dress and mm. you will like it and then you will want the same thing. So it was the case before the 19th century. Still true. It is true. No, that is. It was the same <laughs> people uh, in the people 19th century. So so-and-so's wife has this, I want this. So they don't need to see on the newspaper about its advertisement. No. So perhaps what change is that now you have the advertisement? And also maybe because, it, back again to the point about sources, you have many more sources available. So inevitably you're a bit driven by what the sources that you have available to you. So a lot of sources, as you just said, relate to the upper echelons of society or the, 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 the reading population or the ones who are doing the consuming. So that does lead you more and more to look at that and less and less to look at the mahale, which is more difficult to get at. 
I mean, from a source point of view. So then you're more into literature. Yes, memoirs. that's why the literature is and, the and best why, source. And memoirs, literature become very important because they are still looking at what is, after all, a huge chunk of the city, uh, which isn't affected. So you cannot find the same literature, for instance, if you want mm-hmm. to socialist or yes. Or, or for an earlier period, the memoirs are not exactly So, available. I mean, to kind of touch upon this, the earlier in your book, I know you said that you wanted, you had to kind of put aside the chronology question to write the social history. But I mean, could you, could one do a chronology? Um, how, how did the Mahale, the concept of the Mahale change over time? And are these questions mm. that are answerable? I think the problem there might be that, um, that, in a sense, if you had a chronological approach, you it would be A, quite difficult probably to set that up because of your sources. Mm-hmm. And also, it depends. You, you could actually end up not conveying much of a feel of it either. Mm-hmm. Because you're then... I know that as historians, we must have our dates, etc. But you can end up being a bit trapped inside the chronology, although, of course, stepping out of it, you run a big risk of then appearing to make the whole period completely the same throughout. But... Uh, and also, Mahale as a structure exists and right. continues but how effective it was also changed to the inhabitants of that particular mahalle for instance mm. <laughs> um, in istanbul obviously gelibolu mustafa ali was not uh, happy about all the noisy na- no- no- noisy mm. neighbors but he said that the people in cairo didn't care so much about their na- neighbors so in a way he was appreciating yes, he this lack of thing. interest in the <laughs> so in yes. a way uh, one might argue that Yes, we might argue that Mahalle started to lose perhaps its importance uh, slightly mm-hmm. legal, in legal sense, but in social sense, I believe it continued to be very central until uh, the early years of Republic, even you can take right. it further. Uh, but we can't establish a chronology. It will be rather difficult. Oh, oh, and also for the early Ottoman history, where can we get our sources? Very well, I mean, I was just thinking of things like uh, what Chidem Kafistiolu has written and so forth on, you know, kind of the structure of kind of the establishment of these large mosques uh, in different parts of the city center and how mahales are often defined by the mosque, become centered around the mosque, and the mosque becomes kind of this both social space but also this disciplinary space and everything. You know, so the uh, Mahale is defined by, again, mosque, which is a sort of uh, large... Mosque, hammam, uh, and, yeah, and a market, market or market there are three things. But I suppose you... And in like a, way, a city, urban city. Yeah, or, or you could perhaps... Um, the people working in a very specific chronology, I mean, a very specific time frame round mm-hmm. one Mahale, then that would be a very micro history. If, if you had a whole series of people doing that, then but you can you start have the sources? That's but, that's, but then that would be... For instance, will yeah. sigils be sufficient? Mm-hmm. Can you reconstruct that uh, history of that particular space? Then I think it is awesome. I mean, one can have oh, would very be, interesting... It would be a very interesting thing if yes. it were possible yeah. to do. Yeah. But it would require... I mean, again, you're you are a bit stuck with the sources that you've got available to so, you. So, I mean, uh, just to kind of, because we keep coming back to this question of sources, mm-hmm. I mean, you, um, I mean, what were the sources that you used for this? I mean, I noticed the chronicles and then a lot of these memoirs. What else could we throw in? We did not use archival sources. Very little. Yeah, very little. Uh-huh. Uh, mainly chronicles, uh, travel accounts, uh, publish uh, sources. Yes, a lot, a lot of publish because there's now there's actually quite a lot of uh, Muhimez mm-hmm. uh, sigils, there's a lot of uh, published material. Yeah, we did not use much of that for that project, social history. 
No, I suppose yes, we are. I'm getting in the <laughs> no, projects Ford, next Ford up. No, it's for public yes. space. No, we did. We did more. That. We did a little bit though. Yes. Um, um, so in a way, actually, what we try to do is not to ha- to write a general history of because we are covering a huge time frame from 1453 to 1922-23. <laughs> so it is a huge time frame. So it is a kind of a thing which you cannot do, although it took for, for us to finish in five years, two people. But still, <laughs> it was not possible to do archival work. But, um, but on the other for hand, the later projects, we are more into uh, using archival resources. Yes, but also, uh, I mean, part of it, I mean, some of it informed by archival research we've done before. Yes, of course. Right. That's um, true. So there was especially my 19th century case, especially uh, yeah, earlier periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can I ask you, I mean, just to... Now that we've talked so much about the past of the Mahala and the urban experience, I mean, what's the future? I mean, just a, a question that's dear to all of our hearts, kind of what's the future of Istanbul? Is the Mahala still going to be around or is it just going to be, you There's know... no Mahala left, I believe. Avemes and Cites yeah, I mean, and these sorts of... This is the urban structure of Istanbul now. Um, yes, I think that uh, I certainly think the shopping center yeah. has come I to I think a lot of 19th century dominate. Europeans uh, who don't like much about Istanbul... Uh, but they love the green and everything, uh, would have wept, I mean, if so, this, um, what's happening to this city. So I don't think Mahalle left. Mahalle still is even died in small town Turkey. So in the big cities, it, it had to go. I think also it, it, it is a city that feels as if it's lost its way. And, yeah, but it's and not on sense. Istanbul. No, no, I mean, in, in general. Ankara. <laughs> so better in the past. Yes. Okay. Yes, we should talk about the past. <laughs> so, well, um, I think I think this is a particularly pertinent question, given that you know, I mean, you mentioned before that one of the things that changes over time is what people expect of the city and what people want it to be, um, and and how people see it as a place they do or don't want to live. And obviously, in Turkey as elsewhere, um, that's a very uh, pressing political question in all kinds of ways. And a lot of the, these issues that we've touched on, you know, questions about green space, about parks, about public life, um, about neighborhood, um, are, are still sort of ongoing concerns for people. <laughs> yes, of course they are. I mean, when you think about Ottomans, uh, they were proud of green. Because when we talk about the particular shape of Ottoman garden, you can name Ottoman garden. It is functional, it's it's different from general Islamic garden. It is something which um, is very important. Even there are certain accounts that Ottomans cannot live without open space and flowers, etc. And from there, we come to today. And that's interesting, considering that ideologically, those people who claim, say that they are very much talking about Ottomans as their mentors, do not follow the same desire for green. But then I think history today is not quite history. No, I think, yeah. <laughs> as always. <laughs> no, one might argue that because um, buildings bring more money than green areas. So. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, but I think it's fascinating for our listeners and for us, you know, um, you know, who spent time here uh, to think about the sort of long history of the city as a space um, and the kind of, as you say, the evolution, but the ongoing nature of these questions about, you know, 
not only gardens and green space and urban development, but who takes care of you? You know, where are you born? Whose hospital are you born in? What happens if you um, lose your job and you need help? You know, what institutions remain? Um, how have they changed over time? So I really think this is one of the um, really useful things about the book is that it helps us to situate what often seems like presentist questions um, in a sort of long history, which reminds us that obviously, you know, many of these things aren't totally new. Right, yeah, of course that they so. come out of mm. older institutions, of, mm. of older yeah, ways so. of life. Yeah. There's a tradition, I think. That's why. Uh, that is, of course, gives you the continuity. That's why perhaps you cannot put chronology on it. Because you don't know where does it start. And sometimes <laughs> even you don't know where. When did it end? I mean, the, that is the question about the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. When Turkish Mahalle and or did ceased, it ceased, ceased to yes, be yes, such uh, a, yeah. a central part of everybody's life yes which it had been it had been yeah mm. i mean you can see that probably apartment culture one might argue that brought this end but actually even during the apartment era like the 60s 70s people talk about still was, still was a mm-hmm. culture. people yeah. knew each other but mm. now no not the case yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, perhaps in some mahalas there is still a, sh- a sense, you know, even as everybody is living in a high rise or whatever, that there is still a sense of shared not only social life and knowing each other, but also politics, right? I mean, certain neighborhoods have, you know, political identities, um, particular That's inclinations. That's d- d- different thing. It is uh, perhaps that will end too because of this uh, urban redevelopment projects mm-hmm. where now this uh, the communities of the shanty towns the Gejekonda people now were dispersed i don't know what's going on in istanbul but i know what's going on in ankara you mm. can see that that also brought mm. the end of that um Gejekonda culture and look what it replaced if you uh, look at a lot of the architecture in, in ankara particularly coming in from the airport yeah. is uh, uh interesting <laughs> So it does seem like, you know, today's conversation has really helped us to situate a lot of these questions, which obviously, as historians, the only thing we know is that we can't predict what is going to happen in the future. Um, But it certainly helps us situate a lot of these contemporary issues um, in a sort of longer past, which I think is really useful. Um, So, you know, we want to thank you both, uh, Kate and Abru, for coming on the podcast. Um, I think we had a really fascinating discussion. We covered, you know, questions of the major spaces of Ottoman urban life. Um, We talked about sources, about chronology. You know, these are... These are both historical and methodological <laughs> issues for anybody who wants to think uh, not only about the Ottoman past, but also about questions of urbanization and urban politics in the present. So thank you so much for being thank, on with thank us Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And we just want to mention uh, the book that you've written, uh, A Social History of Ottoman Istanbul. And could you also mention the book that's coming out that oh, you were talking yes. about? Well, it, the book is called uh, Ottoman Women in Public Space. There are f- uh, f- Five of us involved, uh, me, Ebru, Palmyra Brummett, uh, Edith Ambrose and Svetlianova. And we've taken different aspects of looking at this question of the level of, of women in public, public space. And it should come out with Brill m- m- sort of late spring next year. Great. Well, we will look forward to that. Um, And we will put that book as well as um, your past books on uh, a bibliography, which we'll put up on our website, www.ottomanhistorypodcast.com for our listeners um, who are interested in finding out more. 
Um, we have some sounds of the city in the background. As a matter of fact, there are some bells ringing on as we speak. Um, and, you know, that bibliography will also contain some other suggested reading uh, for listeners who may be curious about um, Social Life Anonymous Istanbul and want to find out more. Um, we also encourage our listeners to check out our series, uh, Urban History in the Ottoman Worlds, um, which will have other episodes on related topics um, and sort of make this into, because it's a broader conversation about um, sort of the, the changes and the specificities of urban space in the Ottoman Empire. So we encourage you to check out our series um, and to join us on Facebook, where we have over 20,000 followers. Uh, so there's a lively community. Um, we encourage you to submit comments and questions um, and, uh, you know, tune in to our next episode, um, whatever that may be. <laughs> And uh, until next time, take care.